G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. We're going to be turning our attention back to how we navigate the dynamics of change in the businesses that we lead or we work for, uh, the organisations that we're a part of. Well, our special guest today helps business and organisations ensure their people undertake improvements, reforms and transformations efficiently and effectively. Well, change can be difficult in any organisation and we might wonder about the spiritual dynamics of that change and how that works in practice, the practical dynamics of people in the process of change. This is where our conversation is going today and always a pleasure to welcome back Christina Dean who is the founder and chief executive officer of Uniforte. It's a management consulting company located in Brisbane. Christina wrote the book Rhymer, Managing Successful Change, a practical manual for managing large projects and programs in organisations and the community. Christina wrote the first Australian national competency standards in organisational change management and developed the first Australian diploma of organisational change management. Christina invented enterprise change management. She works for state and local governments and any organisation. You might lead an organisation you want to connect with her or give you an address a little later on. And uh, to be part of our conversation, we'll also open our talkback lines shortly. But Christina Dean, a special welcome back to 2020. Gee, it's great to be back, Neil. It's a bit cool today, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Well, depending on where you are around the country, it might even be cooler than where you are. And I know you're in Brisbane today. So, uh, Christina, uh, when we're talking about people in the process of change, sometimes we think that change just happens in our plans on paper, but actually it's people who are the practical part of that, aren't they? You bet. Um, And if that change is not for them, then it's probably um, happening to them, and that's exactly how they'll feel about it. When you talk about change... um, If you're leading an organisation, I guess, look, it it might even be best just to talk about organisations, the sorts of changes that they are going through right now, because we'll often talk on this program about cultural change. You know, we'll follow the news and we'll say that there are changes, really dynamic changes that are happening around the world. Business Mm. is changing. You know, with uh, the rising cost of living, there's pressure on a whole lot of businesses. Businesses are saying, I've got to pivot I've got to change in certain ways, or if I'm going to grow, I'm going to have to change. When we're talking about the process of change in business, how do you perceive things that are happening right now? Well, I think one of the biggest things that's, uh, that's, that's not just on the horizon anymore, but it's here, right here and now. And it seems to me that it was only just a, a, a very short time ago, a year or so ago, when I, I was asked, what did I think of AI, artificial intelligence? How did that and how was that going to impact uh, change in organisations? Would we be using AI? And to be honest, I had to go and have a quick little look and see what's this thing called AI in change management? And now it's here. 
and it's a um, it, it's it's a very big it's a very big thing because AI is only as good as the values that it's put into how it makes decisions. If it doesn't make decisions based on good values, like Christian values that we hold, um, then it can be based on just about anything you like. Um, and that's going to be a real threat to all of us. AI is so, such a challenge that we can no longer tell if, if, there's, if, the, if an article has been actually written by who it says that it's been written by. So there's a lot in there's a lot in the unknown world about artificial intelligence, and uh, and it's very concerning. And it's going to be no doubt different uh, from one business or organisation to the next. Some will say, "Isn't this a wonderful opportunity?" Open AI, uh, Chat GPT, we've been hearing about the sorts mm. of ways that might benefit one business. Another business might be saying, this is the biggest threat to our business there's ever been. So uh, if we talk about the factors that are causing change right now, uh, AI is one of those huge factors. It certainly is. And, you know, as any good thing, it can also be used as a bad thing. It depends on your attitude and what and the values that uh, that you hold as to how you will use it. So it's the same when you're going through a process a process improvement. Um, you know, where you're you're improving some process in the organisation. It used to be, you know, it used to be very long and tedious, and now it's much quite much quicker. But the point is, is that the people who are involved in it need to be involved in it. In other words, you know. Once upon a time, they are, the idea of consulting with people before you went through change was a radical idea. For heaven's sake, why would I tell them what, you know, why would I ask them what they think? They, you know, they just come along to work and they pick up their wages. And why would I ask my employees what, the, what, I, what they think about how I improve this process? Won't they? Oh, it'll be much better for them. They'll, they'll see that. Uh, no, they don't see that. All they see is that you've come along and started changing what they've been doing for such a long time and and uh, that can set up a, a, a huge amount of anxiety and fear and threat and guilt um, and hostility um, along the way. And so, you know, consult, consultation now has become something that um, that is well known. But it wasn't when I first wrote Reiner in 2008. It was still a very novel concept to ask other people what um, you know? What their involvement, what their involvement in the process was, and did they have any good ideas about it? Uh, well, you're reflecting on you know recent times. Uh, 2008 is not that long ago. So within the no. last two decades, uh, what you're saying is, if you were leading a business or leading an organisation, uh, you wouldn't bother to consult your employees or your clients. Mm. You would just mm. make that deliberation, and you would implement change, a transactional. Mm. Uh, type of a way of uh, leading your organisation. If they're paid to be my employees, they'll just do what they're told. But things have changed, and now consulting people is considered a better way to lead because when you're leading, you're bringing everybody in your wake and you're leading the way, yeah. but everybody else is on your team and they're on the same side. That makes life a whole lot easier, doesn't it? It certainly does make life a whole lot easier. I mean, you know, uh, and we've seen the differences that uh, consult consulting with uh, staff 
um, and consulting with the management team. For example, it used to be just something, somebody with a bright and shiny new technology solution would go and sell it to senior management and wouldn't even, senior management wouldn't even discuss it with management, let alone staff. They would just suddenly be told, such and such, this is going to be rolled out now and you'll just do it. Um, you know, <laughs> there would be a lot of pushback. And that pushback was enough to derail it. Um, you know, in, in, at that time, 70% of organisational changes failed and um, 60% of them received less than 50% of the expected benefits um, and 59% of projects exceeded their planned budgets, 53% exceeded their planned durations and 29% of change initiatives were launched without any formal structure whatsoever. So that's only just a short period of time ago. Thank goodness a lot of that has changed now. Um, because they've got the message, they've realised, you know, there's been a few times when there's been hair curling and wastes of money and you just think, how can you get away with that? But they do, they get away with incredibly wasted money, um, which, you know, because I, because I, not that I'm a penny pincher, but I don't like to see taxpayers' money wasted and have made noises about it. <laughs> well, if we were taking notes from a conversation like this, you might say consult with the people that you are working with uh, when you are mm. actually uh, endeavouring to navigate the change that's coming. We'll, uh, you know, let's just settle on the idea that change is here, change is happening, and it's how we mm. navigate that way forward, which isn't just a decision from the top. Actually, it includes the people who are a part of the organisation that we're leading because um, feelings are important in all of this these days. <laughs> Perhaps feelings more uh, more relevant than ever. Everybody's feelings seem to be so easily hurt. Uh, maybe our feelings Absolutely. are e more easily hurt today than they were back uh, when you actually did that initial study. But feelings are important in here. Well, they certainly are. Um, and one of the most important parts of, of, uh, of managing change uh, from an executive is to know what level of trust exists between him and the people that he leads. Now, if that level of trust is low, it's really imperative that he involves them in the whole process. Um, in, if it touches on an employee's territory or a manager's territory, it's something that he really needs to involve them in. Otherwise, you can be London to a brick that they, that, that thing will fail. If they have, on the other, a high level of trust, Sometimes in an emergency, um, a, a leader can actually take people through quite a radical change, but it's um, it's still going to have to be something that they'll, he'll have to talk with them, talk them through it. He'll still have to talk them through it. It's not like he could just say, "Okay, fine, they trust me 100%. Therefore, I can just fling this out there and they'll just do it." No, that will only happen sometimes. And you know, even in the military, the military will sometimes. Um, go to some lengths to sort of say to people, look, this is what's happening there. On a need-to-know basis, this is what you need to know. And they will give them context. They'll give them, you know, uh, um, uh, the, the, the sufficient amount of context so that they, so that the individual can realise why it's got to happen and why it's got to happen now. So the level of trust, really important, and that actually creates, doesn't it, uh, the responsibility or... That thing that sits on the shoulders of a Christian who is leading a business or leading an organisation because trust is all the more important because when we talk about being in Christ, 
we might say everything changes. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm changing to be aligned with the image of God, and I'm aligning myself to be a part of his mission, and people who are following me, they need to have trust in me. And there is a sense here, and I'll get your frank thoughts uh, on this, Christina. The level of trust in a Christian leader perhaps needs to be even higher than in anyone who might be a secular leader. Any thoughts here? Well, <clears throat> it, certainly, uh, it's, it certainly would be good to, to be able to say that Christian leaders uh, tend to be far and away uh, more uh, trustworthy than others. But um, I don't know what the facts are around that, but I can say that it's, an, it's a great opportunity to bring up the, the idea that working together, working in unity, is, uh, it works much better than simply making arbitrary decisions. Getting them to work together in unity means that, you know, they talk, to, they talk about what they're going to be doing, how they're going to do it. It's about collaboration. It's about cohesiveness. It's about cooperation. And that's how you actually build a, a culture of trust. And it's, it's evident when the people in the organisation are reliable. In other words, they're delivering what they're supposed to be delivering on time and on budget. And when they're competent, that's when you know that uh, that everybody knows what to do during the change and to make the change happen. And also that the organisation has gone through the process of making the change happen, <coughs> beg your pardon, excuse me, in a benevolent way, not, you know, so that it needs to be seen as a win-win-win for everybody and um, not just some parties winning and other parties not winning at all. Um, or if it's becomes too um, it becomes too financially oriented um, you know you can certainly um, see how people would suddenly say well he's only doing that to get more money no matter how much trust there is and so you've got to be careful about that and then whether or not the organization is acting in a principled manner are they doing this in a way that demonstrates that they actually do care about the people involved are they doing it in a principled way according to how, you know, the Bible tells us how to do things? For years and years and years, everybody used to think about managing change was just get the job done. It's a productivity or it's a productivity thing. Just get it done, get it done, get it done. But the reality of it is it, it's, it's much more about how you get it done, how you engage the people, how you bring them along on that journey, how they feel on a day-to-day basis. Are they feeling... Um, threatened? Are they feeling depressed? Are they feeling hostility? Is there a gradual or is there a gradual acceptance of what's happening? Are they you know, running off because they're all disillusioned about it? Um, are they all going into denial about it? You know, what change? I don't want to change. I'm, I'm, this is much bigger than I thought. You didn't tell me this was going to happen. Um, you want your people to be in a, in a process of acceptance all the way through. One of the best um, one of the best things that's happened in recent years is a um, is a program management style called Agile, and it's just, and Agile came out after Rhyma, and it really has captured the essence of the the fact that, that we we do things in little sprints, and we make sure that everybody comes along on the journey, and we don't make all things happen all at the same time because people can't handle it. Change is the most is the biggest. Um, um, threat to human existence as we know I mean, we only have to look at the world's existence to know how change is the biggest threat to to our existence so change has to be handled very very carefully 
Um, and as I used to be very fond of saying in my on the first day of my diploma to the staff, I'd say, look, you know, um, if, if people think that they can change other people, um, I have to tell you, God doesn't even interfere with that. In fact, he gives us this wonderful thing called choice. And, you know, Adam and Eve had a choice as to whether or not they would eat that apple. And they did, and well, the rest is history. However, if they had... If, if God had not given them a choice, if he had not given them the capability to make that choice, that would never have happened. And we would have all been just a bunch of docile people going off after God, his, God's plan all, all, of our di- all of our days. But he did give us a choice, and that's what's real freedom. Now, when our choices are being compromised, um, you're really getting into God's territory. Visions 2020 with Neil Johnson, a biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. Good to have you along with us. Our talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316. Christina Dean is our guest, founder and CEO of Uniforte, a management consultant, a expert on change management. Things are changing right now and you can be a part of our conversation on 1-800-316-316. Christina, before we go too much further, uh, oftentimes as Christians we want to glean some wisdom from the Bible. We want to say, well, you know, what has God got to say about change? Uh, When we're Christians, do we only talk about things that happen in church or are we talking about what happens on Monday after church, where the rubber hits the road, where the salt uh, becomes important as salt and light. Any thoughts here around the sorts of things that you might glean from Bible scripture around these preparation for change? Uh, yes, actually. Um, <clears throat> the, the, biggest, um, the biggest threat, I think, to any change is fear. Um, and fear is really an evil ally to take with you on that journey of change. Um, why do we do the things that we do? Because people hurt people hurt people. And if they, are, if they have been hurt in the past where they've reacted out of fear, um, then they will hurt other people. Um, and we just really need to grab hold of that fear thing because... That is the worst part of change is fear. Um, And, you know, fear is there to help us to to make wise decisions, if you like. So therefore, resistance to change is normal. It's a part of us that says, "Uh uh-oh, you know, your alarm goes off and it says, "Uh uh-oh, what's going to happen next? Um, But decision-making is an instinctive part of human survival and growth. Therefore, decision-making is hard it's a genetic process and therefore it must be acknowledged and respected. It can't just be, oh, well, we're going to do it anyway. It doesn't matter how you feel. That's not going to cut it at all. And it's, that's the reason why we need to compassionately consult with people before changing their environment. Um, it's a very important thing. Um, Carly Fiorini, former CEO of Hewlett-Packard, used to do a wonderful piece about the dynamics of fear and change. And it was such a good piece. I always included it in my program. <clears throat> and it's really about um, how fear feeds on things like delay and uncertainty. And, of course, if you get two people together, one's afraid and the other one's not, hasn't decided to be, doesn't know where they stand yet, 
that fear will transfer to the other person very quickly. The other thing that fear feeds on is a lack of preparedness um, for change. So, you know, we were talking earlier on that a lot of change isn't well prepared for, so therefore that process hasn't been uh, locked in. People haven't been part of, okay, well, we, we accept that we need to change, but what is the preparedness? How, you know, how are we going to prepare for that? So um, delay, of course, can um, be overcome or avoided by being timely. So, you know, as soon as you know that there's got to be a change, then be timely about how you're going to go about making the change happen. After all, you know, you can hold a two kilo, you know, of course you go to the gym, don't you? You no, go to the gym, don't you? Not, no. not very often, no. <laughs> <laughs> tell, tell me about something that you hang on to that's, help, that's, that's heavy. Um, holding on to things that are heavy, um, uh, taking a suitcase on a holiday. All right. Uh, so if yep. I said to you, yeah, so if I said to you, okay, um, I want you to hang on to that and you're hanging on to it and you're hanging on to it and you're hanging on to it and by now your arms are getting tired and you start to swap your arms. What else happens if you <laughs> if there's a delay in me saying to you, okay, you can let that go now? Uh, well, um, what else is happening? Uh, you are getting tired out. Um, oh, I'm not sure what else is happening. What, what else is going on? What are you thinking? Angry. Getting a bit angry. Well, you could you could be angry. Yes, um, you know I should have I should have picked up something to help me take uh, my suitcase on the way. Uh, I wish I'd bought that suitcase that had wheels on it. Most suitcases do these days. But yeah, so you know, there's there's innovation that could actually make your life easier, and you might regret that if you're actually lifting heavy suitcases. Yeah, so you'd like to know how long you want me to hang on to this thing, <laughs> wouldn't you? You'd like to know how long do I need to do this for? Yeah, I think so, you'd preferred me to have said I'm I'm in the gym and lifting weights or something like that. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> you can only hold it for so long, can't you? Only for so long. Yep. Yeah, that's right. And that's what delay is. You know, delay. You can only deal with delay for so long. You can't delay, 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 delay. People cannot hold on forever. They will start to go through all of those unacceptably unhappy. Well, they're, they're perfectly normal, but if they start to um, if they start to fire off instead of being well ma- managed, um, then um, people will get really angry, and you know there'll be fear. Um, with, well, what's going on? We've got to, we've got to know more about this. The next big thing is uncertainty. Um, can you think of a time that you're uncertain about something? You might be asking this question. I think I might be uncertain before every interview that I do. So, <laughs> you know, we're, but, you know, uncertainty is, uh, you know, when you're raising children, you're uncertain. Uh, when you are uh, investing money in a new venture, you are certainly uncertain. And, uh, you know, you are actually, you know, up against uh, all the uncertainty that comes uh, with anything that's in the unknown, aren't you? Absolutely. So what you want at those times is information, isn't it? You want information with which you can make decisions. You want information so that you can make the most informed decision that you can make. Exactly. Exactly so. So, you know, if, you've got, if you're in delay and, and, you, and you've got no information, so, of course, those things start to you know, catalyst one, from one to the other. Um, so providing information to people that helps them to make sensible decisions is really very important. So, you know, fear feeds on fear, as we said. So 
you need to confront those fears um, to ask somebody, well, what is it that you're actually afraid of? Um, and, you know, to help them unpack those fears and to sort of say so that they can maintain their own emotional control um, and not allowing yourself to hook into someone else's fear. So that's actually a little harder than it sounds because there's a part of our brain that actually mimics other people's parts of their brain. For example, if you've ever seen somebody yawn, all of a sudden you may find yourself yawning. And it's just a it's a it's a it's a strange thing that happened in a laboratory when one one person observed this um, animal ob- observing her and it was it was and and then copying her and I thought that's really interesting and it, anyway it's 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 too long to go into the radio station but it's very easy to get hooked into somebody else's fear. Christina, before we move on, let's come back to the leader here because the leader, as a Christian, you might hope, is a person of good integrity. And we're all growing in the way that our integrity is outworked in our lives, in our families and in our workplace. But you could be a leader of good integrity, but you might actually be a fairly poor manager. You might lack in some of the skills there. Or vice versa, you might be a a person of poor integrity, but you might just be the best ever manager. How do you make sense of all of that and uh, where being a Christian in the mix actually makes sense? Well, if you're looking for a leader who can lead change, that person needs to be uh, naturally or well-developed, have a well-developed or or have a natural ability to relate to people, to see things from their perspective rather than from his own, only from his own perspective. So that's a critical part of distinguishing whether or not someone should be a leader or just a manager. Um, A manager can often be extremely good at processes, you know, um, making sure that there is a plan to get to things and understanding exactly how much it's going to cost and those sorts of really very, very critical aspects of managing a change, um, you know, providing the desirable experience, uh, success and having experience to be able to do this sort of thing. It's not just about... Sometimes people think that it's about it's about the new piece of technology. Well, it's actually not about the piece of technology. It's about whether or not people will use that piece of technology to improve the business. That's what it's about. So sometimes when you get people in who are just focused on the piece of technology, um, they will their vision isn't wide enough. Their vision isn't broad enough. It doesn't encapsulate the people who this technology is supposed to be helping to develop the organisation's um, um, improvements um, or transformations uh, so that they can you know, make more money and so that they can you know, be more competitive, so that they can you know, em- employ more people. It's, they really do need to have that much broader vision than just looking at, well, this is the widget and we're going to implement the widget. So, yep. We were talking about fear. We were talking about fear just before the news as one of the major issues when you're dealing with change because you're dealing with the unknown. You're about to venture into something that carries uh, with it uh, all sorts of responsibility and uh, delays when you make decisions to change. As you said, that can be like a weight. There's some special tools in the Christian toolbox that we glean from the scriptures. And when you're talking about fear, 
That scripture from Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7 comes to mind. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now, there's an interesting one there because it's very well to to identify fear as being a major enemy. But the thing that the Christian has in their toolbox is something that alleviates fear and actually shares the responsibility in taking those steps forward with God in the equation. Any thoughts there around the simple things you might do to actually alleviate that fear and to bring something like the peace of God into the decisions and the moving forward for your organisation? I do indeed. You know, at the beginning of our session today, and I love how you do this, you always say a prayer over the session for you and I. I do. And, you know, it's and it's, it's all of a sudden you know that you're in good hands and all of a sudden you know that the Lord is with you and he's going before you and it will all work out fine. That gives me a sense of confidence. It gives you a sense of confidence and we know that we're working on the same page together and that we're actually delivering something here, not for you, not for me, but for God's glory. And that's what really distinguishes the difference between a leader in a Christian organization or a Christian leader in an organization as opposed to uh, someone else. And in other words, we went to God first. We went to God first. And often leaders in organizations tend to go, well, I've tried everything else. I might as well pray. Boom, boom. You know, they left God out of the equation. It, the consultation process doesn't end with staff. The consultation process starts with God. I often like to talk about contrasts. And when you've got the Christian leader or the Christian business owner, let's say, because uh, when you've got people's needs on one hand and the profit obligations of a business on the other, uh, you are actually working in the balance of those. If you have this uh, presence of God, if you have this identity in Christ, if something of his mission is your mission, somehow or other you cannot avoid the people's needs and you can't just look at the profit obligations. Obviously, they're important, but uh, this balance is really important here, isn't it? Uh, the people and the profit. Absolutely. Um, getting... It, it, if you if you're running a not-for-profit organisation, well, that's how you that's how you distinguish your organisation. If you're running for a company, running a company, well, they they declare that 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 profit is important to them, and so therefore that's their number one goal. So uh, you know, if you don't want to work in an organisation that's all about the profit or that is mostly about the profit, then go and work somewhere else go and work where the profit is not such a big deal. So it really gets down to the employee as well in saying, well, for them it's all about the profit. Well, you joined one of the top companies in the Australian ASX. What did you expect them to be doing? Yes. So it is, you know, it's a really, it's, a, it's, it's that choice thing, of course. You know, it's who do we choose to work for in the first place? 
So if we, you and I, choose to uh, work for the Lord, then we have strategies around that. Your radio has strategies around that. I have strategies around that. And we, as human beings, when we go and work in organisations, we can expect that um, that that if we're working in an organisation where it is um, uh, all about the profit, then you can expect that at some point of time you will feel rejected and unloved. And this will hurt your sense of identity. But I would caution people to start think, remembering who their sense of identity is in Christ rather than their sense of identity being in that organisation or in any community organisation. Your identity, first of all, is to have an identity in Christ. And our identity in Christ is one in which um, we are accepted. Um, I am a child of God says John one twelve. I am Jesus' chosen friend, says John 15.15. 15. I am holy and accepted by God, says Romans 5.1, and so on and so forth. So we need to understand who we are primarily, and if we have given our life to the Lord, if we follow the Lord, then we can expect that... We can expect that we have our identity in him, not in the CEO of some organization and not in the, in the management manager who you report to. That's not your identity. Your primary identity is who you are in the Lord. I love the way you talk about, um, you know, which sector are you working for? And you might hope uh, that if you work for a not-for-profit, uh, that people are important in their environment. Of course, uh, money is important whether you're working in a business that works for profit or whether you're in a not-for-profit because uh, they call they don't call it profit in not-for-profits. They call it a surplus. Uh, but money can still be the goal uh, that people have when they are actually involved in those organizations because the survival of the organization depends on the organization prospering and being successful, whether it's a organization for profit or whether it's a not-for-profit which still needs to keep things float and always has a view to expansion. But I'm really interested here because a lot of Christian organizations are not for profits and therefore the people have potentially a a higher value. People are valued more when they're working for a not for profit. But when you're talking about the profit business and where the money is the important thing, where it's either the business owner or the shareholders who are receiving the uh, the dividend uh, from the profit of the business, those who are working in the business often run this risk of feeling abandoned, uh, unprotected. Uh, let's talk about that a little bit more deeply. Have you seen this, Christina, over the years? Sure. Where people are working in sure. business, they just they just feel like they're just getting, you know, annihilated by uh, all of the the profit drivenness of business. Very much so, and this is uh, this is especially so in times when people are being laid off, um, when all of a sudden they get a little pink slip um, or an email that says your services are now you know, are now surplus to requirements is one of the things that's being said. Um, and they get an email after living and working there for the last 5, 10, 15, 20. I've heard it, you know, for, for people who've been there for 30 years who get an email to say that they are no longer required. Suddenly, there's a rug that's pulled out from underneath them. And now they feel totally unprotected. They feel quite alone and totally abandoned because how could this happen to me without my manager even coming and talking to me about this? 
suddenly there is a great sense of insecurity, a great sense of um, fear will suddenly rise up. Well, you know, who was expecting this? Um, and it's very important at that time to remember that that person in Christ is secure. If their identity is in Christ, although they may think um, that, they're, that they're unprotected, alone and, and abandoned, um, the truth is that, um, you know, they are secure um, because if they just remember things like, I am sure that all things work together for good for those who love God, if they can hang on to that, which is Romans 8.28, um, and that I cannot be separated from the love of God, so therefore they are not alone. I cannot be separated from the love of God, that I'm sure that the good work that God has started in me will be finished. In other words, if they can think of themselves as saying, well, okay, um, if that's the case, obviously God has another plan for me. I'll have to go to him first up and go and talk to him about it and say, Lord, did you know that today I got my pink notice? And, you know, um, what else have you got in mind for me? And to start um, pressing into what the Lord has in mind for them rather than what that organization has in mind for them. That's where they need to go first. That's where they need to go first. And if they go to their, uh, go anywhere else first, then it's like the CEO says, I've tried everything and now I'll pray. And when you are the Christian believer, you've got this amazing protection because uh, your whole self-worth when your identity is in Christ is not in the identity you have in your job. It's not even in the fact that you got a certain level in your pay packet. Your identity is in Christ who has your back whether you get that pink slip or whether you do not. And uh, oftentimes I suspect the testimonies are that, uh, you know, for those who've fallen into depression, uh, even contemplated suicide, when their world falls to pieces because change has overtaken them and they've been overwhelmed by it, uh, this identity in Christ uh, gives us at least this dimension of hope that says, all is not lost, God has my back. Is that one of the ways that you can see that protection happening? I can see that protection happening because you know we all we all want the other thing there is a, there is a part of life where you know if we are uh, if we've given our marching orders in an organization or if suddenly um, a husband up and leaves us or a wife abandons the family or those sorts of things um, it's important it's important to 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 grab that moment and say um, I feel rejected. I feel worthless, I feel inadequate, I feel helpless, I feel hopeless. And it's important for them then at that moment to think to themselves, hang on, I am actually significant because my identity is in Christ. And if we continue to seek our identity and sense of self-worth through who we are in Christ, we can renew our mind with the truth that our acceptance, our security and significance is in Christ alone. You know, whether or not it's about um, being young and pretty and suddenly being overtaken by somebody with longer eyelashes and a better figure, um, that's not where our identity is. Our identity is in being part of the true vine, joined to Christ and able to produce lots of good fruit. And remembering things like, I am handpicked by Jesus to bear fruit and I am a spirit-empowered witness of Christ and I am a temple where the Holy Spirit lives. These things are uplifting for us and they help us to look up and not to look down and the 
worst part about being in a depressed state is that you tend to be walking along the footpath looking down. And at that time, it's very important to look up and just look at the sky and look to God and know that he is always there for us. Look, I think I've shared a little part about you with you of something that happened to me a number of years ago everything crashed everything fell down let's uh, let's hear that story because uh, i remember some of it but uh, it's a really powerful story your own personal story uh, take us into that again christina um it was uh, it was a crushing uh, episode in my life um i had always been successful i'd never had um, you know the sorts of things, the sorts of things that happened to me at that time. Um, but I had a, 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 a rather remarkable dream, and it was around about uh, 2011. I had this dream, and I was full tilt into all this new stuff that I had been creating. And I had this dream, and the the dream was that I I was uh, just standing on a street and. All of a sudden, this great silver axe fell out of the sky and it fell directly beside me on my left-hand side. And, and as it fell, I knew that my life was about to change forever because it was cutting off a former life. And I, I just kind of knew that that's what it meant, this great silver axe, and I was terrified. I thought, what the heck? By 2012, my intellectual property, uh, what happened after that was really quite incredible. By 2012, my intellectual property had all been stolen and adapted. Um, and, um, you know, by organizations that talk about best practice and it was all, being, it was all out there. So suddenly our, our profits fell um, dramatically. Um, and by 2016, um, my... Um, my uh, my coursework had also been taken and although it had been broken up into little bits and pieces, it had all been taken and now because they've been all taken by companies with much bigger pockets than I had, um, it was all, um, it was a devastation for me because, you know, it happened at a time of life when when it was really quite critical that I would be able to um, uh, look after myself for my future. Um, at the same time, my marriage crumbled quite unexpectedly. And at the same time, I also contracted a, um, a rather deadly disease on my lungs. And so you could say that it was like um, I had my Job moment. And for a while, I couldn't think. I, I, he was a change manager who was so good at her work and I just couldn't think. And it was only because the Lord lifted my head up and um, and kept telling me stories. And he kept giving me this one particular song. Everywhere I went, this song followed me, and the song said, I love you, I love you, I love you. And it just went on and on and on. And at that particular point of time, I didn't think that anybody loved me. Um, I felt totally alone, abandoned, and a total failure. Um, plus, I was very sick. So you can imagine I had some hard work to do and I had to get to the things that were really quite important and I had to realise that I had worked um, very hard and it was incredibly important. I really wanted to be able to uh, continue to live. I, I <laughs> So I had to look after my health first. So that took a couple of years. Anyway, the rest is kind of history because um, the Lord just turned my life around 
and here we are in uh, 2023. He's about to do it again. And, but this time we're doing it in, uh, in concert. And so uh, that's, all, that's all good. When, but I can tell you yep. that I learned all of these things. I learned, I learned that, I, that I was not somebody who was useless or rejected or unloved. I learned that I wasn't unprotected, alone or abandoned. I learned that I wasn't worthless and inadequate and helpless or hopeless because I found my identity in Christ. And the silver axe has become... Um, a moment in the past, but I have more now than I've ever had in my life before. It's why I keep inviting you back, uh, because you've got a testimony that goes along with the sorts of wisdom that you share from all of these wonderful skills that you've developed over these years. And interestingly to Christina, when change happens, and oftentimes we're not choosing the change, the change happens to us, we can't always see opportunity for a future, uh, but God has our destiny in his hands, and somehow or other when we respond to him, he adjusts our direction, and oftentimes we align more with his mission rather than just our mission. I think this is part of your story too, isn't it? It is totally my story now. Now, I don't think about doing anything unless I go and talk to him first. In fact, it's the first thing I do in the morning is, good morning, Lord. Thank you for your constant love every morning and your faithfulness every night. What's on for today, Lord? There's another dimension in all of this, too, because when your world falls apart and you lose everything, so, you know, it's the intellectual property or you lose that, you know, significant pay packet and or you've got your family falling to pieces. You know, a lot of you know women with their husbands left them or someone has died. All sorts of things can overtake us. But when we're starting again and with God in the equation here, but when we're starting again, he's able to use those skills that we have already developed the personal development of the past. This is an area too, no doubt, that's really important for people who are looking at change now as to how to consolidate those skills and uh, the value that you have in your, the experience that you have in order to move forward. Would you say that's a, 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 a thing that you ought to look at? I would say that if we're not allowed to deal with small problems, if somebody always comes along and, and takes over our small problems, then we won't have... Um, the ability to um, get through the large ones. So don't be afraid of whatever the Lord puts before you. Um, look up, ask him, how do, I, how do I get through this? Who's going to help me? Where do I go from here? Who's going to do what by when? And, tell, and protect me, Lord. Protect me um, and, you know, read Psalm 91 to yourself every day. Read, um, put on the armor of God every day. And those two things alone got me through incredible times. Um, I knew that I could go to sleep at night. I knew that I could feel safe at night. When I can tell you that there were, I had no reason to feel safe at night at all, but I did find that if I did those two things every single night and every single day, that um, I, the Lord carried me through that period of time. There's just no two ways about it. He carries us. Well, time has run out. And interestingly, you're available for organisations, and it doesn't matter where you are because you can do this by Zoom, no doubt. So everyone listening all around Australia could connect with you. And the thought that you're in an organisation, you know that there are some rough roads ahead. There's some tough weather coming in. 
Uh, Sometimes we think about managing change when the crisis hits. Others are saying we need to manage the crisis before it gets here. Christina, you're available for uh, for consultation uh, with businesses and organisations. People can connect with you. Absolutely. Yes, I'd be happy to hear from anyone who wants to chat. Okay, well, let me give a website. It's uniforte.com.au. Uniforte, yeah. spelled U-N-I-F-O-R-T-E dot com dot A-U. And uh, Christina is available to uh, help organisations uh, through major change. Uh, could be business, could be for profit or not for profit. Um, Christina, wonderful getting your insights as always. Thank you so much for sharing your thoughts and your heart with us once again today on 2020. Thank you, Neil. You're a gem. Thank you for having me. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.